turkey is not like a deer, you don't really have that same dynamic of are the turkeys moving, because they're always moving. I'm going to get as close as I possibly can to him. And the reason is, I want him to fly down and come check me out before he gets to those hens. To be honest with you, turkeys aren't that smart. They're wary. They're not very smart. You've either got to have a strutter or a jake to kind of cue on that dominance, or you need no decoy at all. If he's really hot, he's going to get to a point where he's just going to blow up and strut and almost become a zombie. I don't think it's a skill. I don't think it's something you got to get better at. It's just something you have to experience. This is Lock Wheeler with Scree Gear, T3 Calls, and Strutcast, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals with my bow. My personal 24-hour record for death threats is 88. They will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in. So when I go hunting now, that's the ethos I take with me. You know, whatever whatever this hunt is going to throw at you, you pull your big girl pants up and you get on with it. Giant bucks are freaking awesome. They're beautiful. But you know what? I would not trade this first buck for anything in the world. So I'm really, I'm a geek. Magicians and dragons and magic swords. <laughs> I shit you not, man. I'm the biggest dork in the gun business. I'm Freddie Hartice, Hollywood Hunter. This is Aaron Snyder. Hey, this is Trevin Stoltzfus with Outback Outdoors. This is Rihanna Carey. Hi, this is John Sloan of the interviews with the Haunting Masters. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, so getting on to today's episode. Y'all may remember back in episode 92, I talked with my good buddy Locke Wheeler, had him on to really give an intro, everything you need to know to get into turkey hunting, and we got some really good info in that episode. Well... I have not had too much luck turkey hunting since then. I've run into some situations that I just really didn't know how to address. So I had Locke back on. We're in the middle of turkey season here to really, I guess, give some more intermediate advice for turkey hunting. 
So make sure y'all check this one out. If you haven't listened to episode 92, I'd recommend going back and checking that one out first. Hope y'all enjoy me talking turkey with Locke. Awesome, man. So uh, turkey season here in California, at least, officially started the other day. Uh, I started two days after turkey season did because I was looking at last year's season dates instead of this year's. But uh, yeah, so turkey season has officially started. And, um, you know, I, uh, I know we talked about it a little bit after the podcast last time, but I remember you were saying, you know, okay, after you get out and you put this stuff to use, we need to sit back down again and uh, see how it worked out for you. And <laughs> last year's turkey season was not exactly very successful because I was still working full time and had to spend the entire month down in the desert. So I got about four days in. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, getting into it and really, you know, we talked about a lot of the basics and stuff like that. And um you know, if folks want to want to hear that, they can head back over to thewildinitiative.com. But we can uh, yep. get right into it. Just starting out, um, when does when does your season start out there in Louisiana? So the Louisiana youth season was last weekend, March 27th, 28th. And the full season opener is this weekend. And Mississippi, since I'm right here on the border, Actually, Mississippi opened in the middle of March, so I've actually already been hunting for three weeks. Okay, so how's it? Uh, how's the season been treating you uh, for the past three weeks? Well, one of the things to make note of, I guess, is that this year it has gotten springtime weather-wise much, much earlier than. The last several years, I know I've made note to myself, the last several years, it has stayed pretty cool and kind of late winterish all the way really to like April. And this year, the first part of March, it was already getting green and it's been warm. So from that perspective, uh, the weather has been good. We've had a lot of really spring-like days. As far as hunting goes, um, you know, it's been... I would just say average. It's not been without any action. I haven't actually killed a bird. I haven't hunted much. I've really just been hunting with my son. And um, with everything going on in our nation right now with coronavirus, I haven't made any of my early season trips and, and you know, honestly wondering if I'm going to make any trips. So I'm, I'm kind of relegated to hunting just a couple of pieces of property here. Well, so far in, in, now right here in louisiana and i don't have a ton of turkeys there's i've got enough to hunt we've got some birds but um you know it's been a little bit difficult uh early season's always difficult because for the states that open up early even though it's deep south and it's warm and you know the spring is ahead on the calendar the turkeys are still very um bunched up in terms of there's not a lot of hens nesting and so they're staying with the hens all day and, and in a lot of cases and that makes hunting real difficult um they're not nearly as eager to come to a call much the way you hunt a rutting deer you know they're not searching they have their hair on the hens and those hens aren't venturing off and nesting so uh, that's made hunting difficult goblin is kind of pretty much just early in the morning when they first fly down they'll gobble for a while and then they're off with their hens so 
Uh, had a few exciting mornings, but it's it's been pretty average for the most part so far. Yeah, I finally, I got out the other day and, you know, I only got to sit for a little bit. It was just more a trial run. I got out a little bit late and had some calls and it was definitely a mediocre experience. <laughs> um, I, uh, I sat down and I called a couple of hens in and, you know, they came hauling ass in. I, I made a few calls and they came running in and they looked at my decoys and I guess my, uh, I guess my strutting Jake decoy was not uh, tempting enough for them to stick around. It was, I mean, that poor decoy got curbed pretty hard, but, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you were talking a little bit about the seasons, um, how do you how do you generally see the you know obviously we're used to hunting turkeys in the spring and how does how do the seasons and the changes in weather tend to affect uh the turkey's behavior well it it, it honestly it really varies on location and, and and I mean that not just regionally but but actual you know from one farm to the next it's how many turkeys you have in an area plays a big role in how their behavior varies and how they're affected by everything weather being one of the big parts um it, it's the traditional thought is you know when things are blooming and you have cool cooler temperatures in the morning but warmer overall temperatures are your best days um I find just like everything else and really every other outdoor activity, high pressure days tend to be the best you know, as far as gobbling and just the, you know, the audible, uh, your ability to find turkeys that way. Uh, you know, a turkey is not like a deer in that a deer will bed up during the day, you know, at very various times throughout the day and the night, a turkey is pretty much on the ground during daylight hours. And so, you don't really have that same dynamic of are the turkeys moving quote unquote, because they're always moving. I mean, they're always on the ground. They're either in a tree or on the ground. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess they may perch for periods of time, but I, I don't think at least in my experience, is there ever really a situation where, well, the turkeys are all just sitting around on a limb somewhere. I, I don't <laughs> think maybe I'm wrong, but in my experience, I don't think that happens. So what you're talking about right that is like really how well are, the turkeys, you know, responding and how well are they talking and responding to you gobbling and that sort of thing. And part of that, I think, is with the warmer weather, when you start getting some of that understory growth and greening up, it, it, it gives the type of habitat development where the hens can nest. And so, of course, you can get more hens starting to kind of venture off on their own, get away from the gobblers and try to lay a nest. And that makes the gobblers more active because they're out searching for more hens. So it's, it's kind of difficult. I mean, I, and I spent the majority of my earlier years kind of thinking if it was cold and windy and rainy that, yeah, there's really wasn't a lot of reason to hunt. But lately I've, I've kind of found that sometimes when you get these cool spring days, it actually it can actually make them really gobble hard. And I don't really know what to attribute that to. I don't know if it's just typically 
cooler days are associated with high pressure fronts and that in and of itself is you know the fish bite better on high pressure the deer move better in high pressure et cetera et cetera i don't i don't know but um you know just typically when you start seeing the woods green up the flowers bloom and you start having those temperature changes from mid 50s or 60 degrees at daybreak you know up into the 70s during the day that's typically wherever you go that's the weather pattern that you're looking for for your best um chances at not only hearing birds but being able to get them to really respond and work in the calling because earlier on even if they're strutting a little bit you know you'll see a lot of times in february in the south and even other locations in late january february they're in these big flocks they're still in their big winter flocks and you'll see birds that gobble from time to time and they're strutting a little bit and all that kind of stuff but they're not ever leaving that flock because they're not actually breeding and the hens are not actually leaving the flock so they're kind of all stuck together and it's when that when that weather changes again like i said to that that springtime weather i think my theory is what you're seeing happen there is you're finally getting that spring bloom in the woods and that allows the the hens to have better nesting habitat and you start to see those big flocks break up and you start to see the turkeys become much more audibly responsive because they're 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 separated they're not in big flocks where they can just ignore you gotcha and so that's ideal conditions there but you know it sounds like from also what you're saying you know if i if i wake up in the morning i kind of look outside you know i look outside i see the forecast whatever it is and it's like okay it's gonna be a little bit it's gonna be kind of gross maybe a little bit drizzly might be a little bit windy it's not super warm um yeah it's not ideal but there's still a good chance you're gonna see turkey turkeys moving in weather like that yeah, so I think that the one thing about that 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 comes to my mind when you kind of present that is you have to look at at the way you're hunting or where you're hunting. So if you're hunting on a smaller piece of property or even if it's not smaller but you just kind of know the area where like let's say you hunt like in the Midwest for example where you have smaller woodlots and a lot of open fields, it's not very hard if you put in the time to scout, you kind of know those, those corners of those fields where the turkeys like to be all the time. And, uh, those strut zones where the turkeys always seem to go and strut and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and if you're on a smaller piece of property, obviously you're not moving around a whole lot. And the birds that are on that property, you can pretty much hear them from anywhere on the property or just about if you're hunting that kind of situation, you know, the, the spring Turkey season, in you know kind of uh, using that same parallel again with the whitetail rut or any deer rut there's only a limited amount of time in these animals world where they're going to be able to breed so they're going to be somewhat active this time of the year just about no matter what now how easy and how much that works for your your day and your situation and your ability to find them and have them respond to you and all that kind of stuff that's a whole nother thing but to your point if you're hunting an area where you know the birds are going to be there and you don't have to worry about, well, it's so windy that I'm not going to be able to hear very far or, you know, it's rainy and I'm not going to really want to move around a whole lot. And you can go and, and get around these fields where you know the turkeys are going to be there or on these small lots of property where you know the turkeys are going to be in there, then you're fine. Now, 
for the guy who's going to a large public track of land or even just a large piece of property where, you know, you know, there's birds there, but you don't know exactly where they're at. And if that's the case, windy and rainy, you know, you can't hear very far. And if you don't just get lucky enough to be close enough, it might make for a really difficult day of hunting because in that situation, you need to be able to hear a long ways to be able to locate birds, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I definitely don't think that the 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 wind and the rain is not going to stop the toms from trying to breed the hens. Much in the, like I said, again, I'm using the same parallel in the same way that when it's time to rut and the does are going into heat, deer of every species are going to be trying to breed. Now, the weather conditions may make your hunt very difficult and hard to be successful, but they're still out there trying to breed. They're not going to stop because they only got so much time. Turkeys are the same way. And in in the sense that the majority of your turkey hunting is done kind of in the simple method of go out at daylight, locate a bird, make a strategic move to set up and try to call that bird into, you know, kill range. You just got to figure out what your situation is for your hunt. And so if you're a hunter that's hunting on a large piece of property and you don't really know where the birds are and you're going to be really affected by high winds and rainy conditions where you may need to really move around and be able to locate a bird at distance, then, you know, on those mornings, you're walking into a tough hunt. I'm not going to say that you can't find a bird and that that bird won't won't work but you know it's it's just going to be more difficult because generally speaking uh, again going back to the point if you you know unless you're going into an area and you're just kind of posting up in a known area then um you know it's it's just going to be hard and i so, but I, I guess the spirit of your original question is yeah i mean if you get up and it's it's rainy and drizzly and windy you know don't think that the birds aren't going to be strutting and aren't going to be out trying to, you know, find their hens and all that. They're definitely going to be doing all that. It's just uh, a matter of how easy it's going to be on you to locate them and stay with them. Cause it depends on how hardcore you are. <laughs> oh, you know me, man. I'm just, I'm the most hardcore ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so between last year and this year, I want to present maybe some situations that I ran into in my time hunting and see kind of, I guess, either what you would do or your advice for, uh, you know, for someone stuck in a situation like this, uh, mostly because yeah, I know I'm going to get stuck in these situations again. And the whole reason I run this podcast is because I want advice. So, right. <laughs> So starting, I guess, just with this last trip, you know, one of the things, um, and actually it happened a few times, uh, last year as well. I'll be sitting there. I'll, you know what? I'm even going to start earlier than that. Decoys. Do you typically run decoys or no? Okay. So I do typically use decoys, but I do that primarily because I'm using, I'm filming. I'm using, you know, I got a camera and the decoy, you know, basically puts things into situation where it makes it easier to film a hunt. You know, if a turkey being as to being able to see and being able to key in on movement 
as well as they are, it's very difficult to just call up a bird blind and, you know, make sure that you've got a, that you can get the shot on camera. You put the decoys out in the open and you get the bird to come to the decoys. Well, the camera situation becomes much more simple. Yeah. You effectively know where the birds are going to be heading. So I can imagine, you know, yeah, it's, uh, the birds are going to go to the decoys, so you know where to point the camera effectively. And then I, I can imagine also with decoys that uh, off times, you know, we've all seen the videos, fun stuff, interesting, exciting crap happens when a turkey's coming up on a on either a, another strutting decoy or a hen decoy. Yeah, so the decoys effectively enhance the hunt for the camera to your point there and then also it makes setting up you know you got multiple people you got camera equipment and it's easier for the camera um but i don't want to i don't want to say that as though there's no strategic advantage to using decoys if you're not filming a hunt that's not my point i i use decoys when i'm not filming as well but there are also times where not using a decoy is is an advantage. So um, it, I, I do both. I guess to a, to ask me that question as a hunter, just strictly forget the fact that I use them for the camera and say as a hunter, I use them and sometimes I don't use them. I mean, I, to me, it, it it's almost a fifty fifty thing. There are situations that dictate it, and there are situations that certainly do not dictate it. Now, is it is it typically just the ability to stay mobile and stay agile why you wouldn't want to be using decoys or you're talking about there's some advantages yeah no it's not that um there are times when i wish i didn't have to pack a decoy but it's not because <laughs> it's not for the hunt it's just for convenience sake um you know using a decoy in certain situations uh can make a bird hang up um there are a lot of situations that you could find yourself in when you're calling at a turkey and you know you want to key in on that curiosity and that instinct of him coming in looking and there there are obvious situations there where if he can see your decoy from too far away his natural instinct is for him to gobble and strut so that the hens come to him so he's you know, you're, you're running the risk of being in a situation where he's kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, he's done his part and he's going to stand there and strut on the other side of the field waiting on that hen to come to him, you know, and that decoy's just sitting there and he's like, well, here I am, you know. Um, and then there's other situations where you just got flock dynamics in play. Uh, i give you an example. I had a hunt uh, this weekend, uh, Sunday, where my son and I, we had a turkey roosted the evening before. We we got in there really early, got close to him, and daylight breaks. He starts gobbling, and he's the only her, he's the only turkey that we heard that the afternoon before. He's the only turkey that that we knew of that was in there, and uh, he starts gobbling. And we have a Jake decoy and a hen decoy out, and we're in we're in big open hardwoods on a there's a road that runs down the top of this ridge to the woods so it's it's wood it's timber but it's wide open timber and a road that runs down through it and um he pitches down out of the tree and he's out there at the end of that ridge i don't know or think that he could see the decoys but he was you know within about 100 yards of us and we're kind of working on him he's gobbling and 
he starts kind of going off one way or the other. Well, then another turkey starts gobbling to our right, about the same distance away, but to our right that we didn't know was there. And that turkey's, you know, kind of getting fired up and really getting going. And a long story short, these two birds end up meeting up with one another about 70 yards from us, just out behind our decoys, out of range. And the second turkey that started gobbling was a jake. And when they met up, I, I can't claim to know the reason for this, but I can tell you um, from experience that it's factual. If you have a Jake decoy out and there's a long beard that is with a Jake, he, in uh, uh, many times, at least in my neck of the woods where I'm hunting these birds in the, in the, in the timber and, and in the south, they oftentimes won't come into a Jake decoy setup if they've got a Jake with them. Now, if they're by themselves, they may, they'll come in there and try to beat up on that Jake. But for whatever reason, if they've got a Jake with them, it's, they, they don't, I don't know what the reason for that is. But that's an example where if I had had no decoys or maybe just the hen decoy, that those birds may have came on in. But I firmly believe that because I had that Jake decoy out, they hung up out there like 60 or 70 yards and went off kind of, not really straight away from us, but went away from us in general, you know, gobbling. They weren't spooked or anything. They just kind of moved away. They didn't move into the decoys. And had I known that that other turkey that started gobbling was a Jake, I would have crawled out there and got the Jake out of there. Because on the other hand, if you get a couple of toms together, they can kind of be bullies and they will, they'll come in and beat up on a Jake decoy for sure. But, uh, you know, that's, that's just an example. Um, a couple of scenarios. If you're hunting in the woods and you got a lot of hilly terrain and you got a lot of elevation change, and my opinion, uh, my advice or opinion would be, you know, probably don't use a decoy because a lot of times if you're hunting big woods and hilly terrain, the turkeys are pretty savvy with the way they'll, especially a middle of the day bird, a bird that's not coming right off the roost and coming right in, they'll kind of do that whole thing where they stay on the back side of the ridge and pop up right there in front of you, kind of looking, you know, and you want to play to that curiosity and not over call so that he knows there's a bunch of calling going on somewhere he can't see a, see a hen, but you kind of use that instinct that he has to kind of slip around through the woods and use the hills and the sides of the ridges he's trying to use that to his advantage you do the same thing you get on the back side of a ridge with the crest of the ridge and gun range and you get him to you know come looking and come seeking and because he'll he'll end up roaming all around you looking for that call if you're not as long as you're not calling to him too much so that's just some of that's some of my examples of decoy versus not so if I if I do end up wanting to use decoys, what would be a good mix? Like, uh, I guess what would be a good mix, and what I guess tips would you have for setting them up as far as spacing, positioning, stuff like that? So I don't think that there's a whole lot of uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of planning and really thought that needs to go into this. To be honest with you. I don't, and this is just me in my opinions here, but turkeys aren't that smart. They're wary and they great instincts about certain things, but they're not very smart. If you just, you know, if you're going to do a male female dynamic, then, you know, one gobbler or one Jake and one hen is fine. They're, I, I, you know, 
if you're hunting on a field edge where you're hunting really high pressured birds, you know, you may put a couple of hens out there to give that imp- a couple of hen decoys to give that impression that, Hey, it's just a, a, a calm feeding flock of hens and, and the, the birds feel comfortable with that. But generally speaking, you know, you're either just going to stick a hen out there and they, they just, you know, they're not going to be like, well, that's only one hen. And I swear that sounded like two hens <laughs> that, that, that they're just not that calculated of an animal. You know, they're either going to see what they're looking for and like it and come to it or not. And then, of course, if you're in a situation where you feel like, you know, using a gobbler or a Jake decoy is going to help, then just having one of those out there with the hen. And then as far as the way you set them up, you know, as far as the hen, you just want to stick it out there where it's in gun range and it's in the right line of sight for your setup. And then if you're going to stick a Jake or whatever, you want to just position him in a situation where he's out, where, where it looks like he's tending that hen, where he's, you know, standing kind of over the top of her. You kind of want to have him behind her, facing her. You also want to always try to have any male decoy, be it Jake or gobbler you want to have him facing away from where the turkey's coming because turkeys are punks and they are much more likely to attack from the rear than they are from the front <laughs> so um if he comes out in the field and a jake decoy staring right at him he may lock up but if he comes out in the field and it's facing away from him he's a punk and he'll try to sneak up behind him and jump on him um that's just what they are so that that's a few <laughs> things that i would that would say in answer to that okay so, I mean, I've got, so the setup I have right now, I, I kind of bought a variety just to test things out. And I've got, so I've got two Jake decoys. One is kind of like a, the wiener Jake decoy. And then the other one is kind of, he's kind of a puffed up strutting Jake. You know, both of them, neither of them are too huge, teeny little beards. Mm-hmm. And then I've got two hens, one's feeding, one's standing. Um, obviously, I probably wouldn't want to put out all four of them together. But uh, putting out two hens and that strutting, that strutting Jake would work, or even just putting out that other Jake uh, with his back to where I think they'll be coming from. Yeah, I, I definitely would not ever put both Jakes out at the same time because groups of Jakes will almost always harass Longbeards, you know, uh, strangers. Like groups of Jakes are are real. They're they're a real annoyance and bother to to toms and uh groups of jakes will mess up if you hunt in an area like specifically in texas or out in south dakota where there's large large flocks of turkeys you'll have these big groups five six seven jakes and they will mess your hunt up in a heartbeat i mean they'll run a they'll run a tom clear out of the you know out of your universe so uh they're they're they will i would say that in most most cases unless you had a group of toms that were kind of just running the show around there and they were stuck together and they kind of power in numbers, but I just wouldn't take that risk. I wouldn't put mm-hmm. two Jakes out. Um, I think there's, there's certainly some, some potential success in having that, you know, a Jake out there with your hen decoys, because if you get a Tom or a group of Toms, um, you know, like a couple of them running around together or one solo Tom and he's out by himself looking for hens and he slips up there around your setup and he sees this Jake out there with a couple of hens. I think that there's a great chance that he'll come in and try to run that Jake off in order to, to, to take his hens from him. And then of course, I think having a couple of hens out there, one feeding, one standing is certainly a, a safe bet. Uh, I think just in most any scenario, if you're 
if you're hunting in a situation where you're going into an area and you're kind of sitting in a blind or you're just sitting up somewhere and sitting for a while and calling a little bit, see if a bird starts responding or one just comes into a known area where you know they frequent, having a couple of hens out there for him to kind of, he hears you calling every now and then and he comes flipping around, he sees those hens and he just kind of comes on in. That's good. I think that's a safe bet. Again, you know, the only time I think that, that you might not want to use a hen is if you're on a bird early at daylight and you're in a situation where he can see a long way and you're really calling hard to him and you got a lot of gobbling and responding and answering going on and you stick that hen out there and he can see it from a long ways down a road or from across the field and he's all fired up doing his natural thing and he gets in, he gets within eyesight of that decoy and he just locks up and starts strutting, waiting on it to come to him. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's the place where you've either got to have a strutter or a Jake to, to kind of cue on that dominance, or you need no, no decoy at all. And if you have no decoy at all, as soon as you see him, you got to shut it down. Just do very little soft calling, just enough to get him to come in gun range because he can pick out exactly where you're at really easily. And if you're calling too much and he's not seeing what you're calling at, then he's, he's not coming you know, he's going to lock up or, or move on. Well, I mean, I, we talked about this in the, in the last podcast is effectively, you know, we're trying to get the, get these toms to go completely against their nature. Cause it's not in the nature of the Tom to go to the hens. It's, you know, it's the hens, you know, it struts around and the hens are supposed to come to the toms. And so with, with those decoys, you know, just reiterating what you said, likelihood of him coming in if he's just seen a lone or a pair of hens way off in the distance is not very high so you've got to figure out either a way around that or you've got to set those hens up in a space where to fully see them he has to come within gun range is that is that a correct assessment yeah that's a that's a fair assessment and i think i think the only thing to 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 expand upon in that i guess if it hasn't been said in this conversation clearly enough is you've this goes back to just kind of thinking logically uh, i'm going to use a kind of a <laughs> i don't know what you would call it uh, a turkey hunter terminology but you kind of got to heat check the bird like if you're if like i said if you get on a bird that's just gobbling really really hard and he's all fired up and you know that he's over there strutting and gobbling and he's answering every call and you're really calling at him and all that you know, he's, he's going to come, but you know, there's a dynamic there where he's doing what he's supposed to do. And that's where you could get in trouble. If you don't have that decoy kind of like around a curve or over a little hill where he's got to come find it. But on the opposite side, if you go out at one o'clock in the evening and you just kind of got a couple of decoys out there and you're making a few yelps and calls every few minutes here and there, nothing aggressive. You're not really calling at him. You're not keying on that instinct of his. You're just kind of in the area and he just kind of finds you on his own. Well, then decoys can work really good because he's like, oh, well, look, this is what I've been walking around looking for. I thought I heard something over here, <laughs> you know, as opposed to this hen's over there. Yep, 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 yep. I'm gobbling. I'm gobbling. I'm strutting. Okay, well, there she's at. She's supposed to come over here, you know. So again, it's it's not a lot of, it's not really hard if you just kind of break it down for what's actually happening logically. You got to, again, I, I, that's the only way I know to say, it. you got to kind of heat check your gobbler as to, to, to what you're doing. If that gobbler's really, really responding, you got to play coy with him a little bit and make him come to you. You can't do, you don't want to do anything to lock him up because 
if he's really hot, he's going to get to a point where he's just going to blow up and strut and almost become a zombie. He's just sitting there strutting, waiting on her to come to him. So talking about calling, you know, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, you know, uh, as long as you're not calling too much, uh, you know, you, you've said it a few times. Um, I, again, you know, it's dependent on the situation, but that's something I struggle with is knowing. So, you know, say it's just, it's a fresh set, you know, maybe I'm, I'm hearing, hearing some gobbles, a, a, a little ways off in the distance, you know, I'm set up in a good spot, ready to go. How often do I want to be calling and how aggre- aggressive do I want to get with it? Again, you know, of course there'll be differences, uh, you know, as I'm, as I'm using discretion as uh, reacting to the birds, but, but generally to start out, like how much am I, uh, how much should I be calling? So I'm, I'm pretty much always going by the rule of letting him tell me what to do. And what I mean by that is, you know, so let's use the scenario that you go out at, you know, you go out before, before daylight and it starts to break day and you got a bird goblin and he's, you know, he's not right on top of you, you know, but he's close enough for you to suspect he'll, he'll come that distance. You know, let's say he's within, you know, 200 yards, 150, 200 yards away, something like that. So, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start out by trying to be real. So it's early in the morning. I'm going to do soft calling, tree calling, and I'm going to let him respond. Um, if he's, if he's responding at me, I'm going to, you know, keep giving him a little bit of what he wants to a certain point. If he's not responding a whole lot, I'm going to do a few things kind of measured to kind of try to really get his interest and get him excited and get him going. But I'm never going to really try to overdo it in the big picture. So what I mean by that is if a turkey gobbles at, at daylight and so, okay, you know, the turkey gobbles, you make a move over there, you get, you know, 150 yards from 100 yards, whatever the train dictates, you get there and you sit down and he's gobbling on his own a little bit and you call to him and he doesn't respond to you and you call to him and maybe he responds one time. So you wait a minute and you call again and he doesn't respond and he's kind of, you know, he hears you because he's answered you once or twice, but he's not answering you a lot. He's not focused on you, obviously. You know, I'm going to give him some excited calling in short bursts to try to really get his attention. Once I've really got his attention, I'm really going to tone it down. Really, really tone it down. You know, give him a few little yelps, a few little clucks, and then go quiet for a while, and then kind of go from more tree yelps and soft yelps to a little bit more of kind of curious clucking and, you know, semi-excited yelping kind of thing to kind of keep his attention but I'm going to tone it really down as long as he's, if he's cutting me off and he's gobbling like at every call I make and he's gobbling almost like immediately or while I'm actually calling, he's cutting me off with his gobbles. Then, uh, you know, I'm only going to give him just enough every now and then. And then as soon as I see him, I'm, I'm not going to call anymore unless he starts walking off or something like that. Now, you know, that's the very attentive bird. And then, you know, so in the other situation is where the, the bird just kind of not answering you a whole lot, seems kind of vaguely interested. You, you can't just wear him out. You know, you can't do that because that's not real. And, you know, that's that's not what turkeys really do. But you can kind of give him that, hey, pay attention to me treatment a little bit. And you got to gauge it. You can do it a few times. 
and not every turkey is the same. You can do it a few times, and he may start gobbling at you a whole bunch more. And when he does, then you kind of you go you revert back into that giving him what he's giving you kind of thing. And you know the other scenario where that will come into play is if you're working a bird and he's on the ground and you think, okay, any minute he could be popping up here. He, the last time he gobbled, he sounded like he was closing distance. And then all of a sudden he gobbles and he's moving away. You know, you can just, you know, hammer on him for just a bit. Just, 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 you know, give him a series of excited yelps and, you know, cut him off, cut, cut some excited cuts and cackles and yelps in there to try to get him and say, Hey, 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 turn around and come back here. And, um, you know, that's something that you can do that I've had that work very well. Um, another thing you can try to do on a bird that seems to be kind of going away from you, but still really answering you is try to cut him off a little bit. You know, you're as soon as he gobbles, yelp at him, you know, and, um, but again, it kind of goes back to, this is a trial and error kind of thing. This is a feel it, take your chance and hope you pick the right thing kind of thing. There's no, there's no exact answer, right, wrong to this, but, um, you know, you just uh, give him what he's given you. If he's if he is committed to you and he's really gobbling hard at you, then you need to be real because if you sit and listen to hens, every now and then they'll get all excited for a, a short period of time and, and cut up for a little bit, but they don't just walk through the woods yelping for 30 minutes. You know, they just don't rarely ever do that. And when they do, it's it's not in a situation where they're talking to a gobbler. It's in a situation where they're they're – flock has been busted up by a predator or something and they're trying to gather back up you know so you want to be real and 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 like i said if you want to be that that hen that's playing hard to get you know you want to get his attention and do just enough to keep it until you feel like he's getting in it within eyesight of you and then just get real 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 quiet and everything else you do from there is very very soft just trying to guide him into gun range you know unless again like he turns and starts going off you might give him a you know a four or five note yelp and a little cut just to kind of turn him around and get him coming back your way okay so now now we've kind of gone over that getting back into uh kind of the situations i found myself in while i was hunting uh one thing i i've had happen a lot is you know i'll have uh, last year it was just uh, one hen and the and the one Jake. You know, this year I had the two hens and one Jake. Um, I'll get I'll get hens to come in. I'll get you know two, three, four hens. Just they'll cruise in. They'll hang. They'll be milling about. They're they're hanging out, waiting for this, waiting for this poor Jake to step up and have his way with them. And uh, and he's clearly a limp noodle. Um, yeah, and not doing anything because he's made of plastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll be sitting around, and you know, I'll hear kind of I'll hear the occasional gobble off in the distance, and you know, they'll start to wander off because you know he's not doing anything, and obviously that's the last thing I want is for these hens to wander off and go find go find the gobbler that I want uh, the tom that I want to be coming in. I mean, what what would you recommend in a what would you do in a situation like that where you? you're getting the hens to come in just fine. Um, but then they lose interest, start losing interest. Is it just time to move? <laughs> well, uh, you mean, I don't, I don't know that I have a real good answer. There's not a whole lot you can do because truthfully, if you're sitting, um, you know, I have to assume that you're sitting within gun range of your decoys mm-hmm. and that being the case, there's not a lot you can do. I mean, you can't call at a hen that's within 20 or 30 yards of you 
and expect anything great to come of that. You may pique their attention for a minute, but they're immediately going to realize there's a sound coming from over there in that bush or that blob over there, and it's not a turkey, and that's, you know. <laughs> so it, my my initial reaction would be if you're calling and you got a hen decoy out there and hens come up, they're probably leaving the flock and coming over there kind of territorial-like, trying to run off your hen. That would be my... That would be one train of thought. The other train of thought would be that you just got a whole bunch of hens. <laughs> because typically, if a hen has been bred, <laughs> typically if a hen has been bred to the point where she's laying a nest or tending a nest, she is um, she's going to be by herself. She's not going to be with other hens until that, you know, at that point, she's basically dedicated to that to that nest. So, um, there's not, to be honest with you, um, I, I, I really don't know what to tell you to do about that. I mean, it's a good thing to have turkeys in the area because those hens are eventually going to get bred by Tom, you know, or, or tempted to. So if they're staying in the area, he's going to be in the area too. And I think that, um, you know, I, I would just kind of chalk it up as be glad you're having activity and you can try to just do real soft clucks and purrs to keep them calm and make them feel like, Hey, everything's cool around here. These, these turkeys mm-hmm. are just feeding. There's no problem. They're only going to stay around so long and there's nothing you can really do. You probably, if I had to just place a bet on it, you probably got a, a, a lot of hens in the area and they're part of a bigger flock and the bigger flock is not where you are at the moment. And they're not getting any attention from the toms, So they hear you calling and they come over there to figure out what's going on. What other turkeys these are that they're hearing. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Not a great it, answer, but. Oh no. It, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's an honest answer. Um, and uh, last year, actually what happened is I, you know, I had these, I swear it was like for a half an hour, these hens just hung out with me and they'd, they'd wander off about, you know, uh, 30, 40 yards, hundred yards, even sometimes. And then they'd come wandering back and, and they'd hang out and they're milling about and, Finally, it was just after a good half an hour, they got sick enough and they, there's a little Creek and they kind of flew to the other side of the Creek and I'm watching them and lo and behold, biggest, biggest Tom I've ever seen comes wandering out. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's just the thing. Yeah. They're just there. He's in the air. If they're there, he's there, you know, that's just what it is. And they're going to him and you just, you know, you're going to have to hope to get in a situation where one of these days where you're out there hunting that he's not, you know, that he's in more of a searching mode and he's more, he's the one that's roaming around checking out everything he hears as opposed to kind of standing in his ground and all the hens kind of come and go into him. Yeah. I mean, either that or just hope you get lucky and you're on the right side of the Creek <laughs> one day. I'll tell you, the he, whole was about, clock comes. he was about, he was just under, I think like 60 yards away, something like that. And, uh, I was, I was sitting there like, Oh man, if I had my bow and this was, I, I had my shotgun at the time. And I was like, if I had my bow with me, I could have smoked this son, this sucker, but, uh, you know, shotgun, I'm pretty much limited to about 30 yards. And, um, and so, you know, I tried, I, I moved way off to the side, you know, cause he was, he was puffed up and strutting his back was to me. So I moved way off to the side and tried to sneak around and, and I, I bear crawled through the freaking Creek yeah. <laughs> um, to get at this thing. And, but the hens had started moving off at that point and like, they weren't, 
I didn't, I hadn't spooked them. They weren't, you know, they weren't like hustling off like you'll see them do, but, um, they were just, they were on a mission. The, mm-hmm. the hens were gone and that, that, that gobbler was like, Nope, I'm following them. I have no interest in that. Like one Jake and hen across the Creek. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to, it's hard to get it. It's hard to get a Turkey across the Creek or even a fence or any kind of physical barrier. It's just when they're in that mode, things that they walk across and fly across on a normal travel route every day, they just won't do for whatever reason. I don't know what the reason for that is, but it uh, is kind of universal and most everywhere I've hunted that if, if you get a bird gobbling and strutting, you know, and there's something between you, not not something that's, that he physically can't handle, but just something that prevents him from just simply walking straight over to you, he'll just hang up on it and just wait on you. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's just God's way of one of the ways that they're designed that protects them, you know, from just walking up on anything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, creeks can be, creek, creeks can end a lot of hunts. Yeah, it's 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 tough too because it's right in a spot where i've seen them just as much on both sides of the creek so it's really just i mean it's a complete crapshoot when i when i go to set up in that spot i'm like yep. well let's roll the dice and see if i want to be on the uh on the east side or the west side of the creek today and so far it has my choices have been incorrect <laughs> my, well my opinion my opinion to you would be take one hen decoy go in there at daylight or whenever you're going to hunt slip into the area and try to get the bird to gobble so that you know where he's at and then get on that side of the creek with him and try to make a setup on him and call him in i mean that way you're not that way you're not rolling that 50 50 dice of okay i'm putting all my eggs in this setup and i'm hoping that he's on this side with me you know you mm-hmm. that that if, if, if that's the case and he's always there you know, you should be able to hear him at daylight or if you're going mid morning or something, you get in there and do some locating calls and get him to gobble and say, okay, I know where he's at. And so let me try to get within about a hundred of him, stick this hen out there and call to him and see if I can get him to come to me. Yeah. And I think one of the things I struggle with is I'm still, you know, I still don't have a ton of experience out chasing turkeys. And so learning, learning to locate, you know, I mean, yeah, I can get a general direction from a gobble, but uh, you know, kind of figuring out, how far away they are and and exactly where the pinpointing exactly where that's coming from is still a skill I'm learning and I'm working on that but I do need to I think you know make what one thing you gave me was uh uh in the last podcast that I think I need to make more use of just coming in if they're not goblin is is getting into that spot in the morning and and using that uh hoot owl call I picked up oh absolutely well, but to be honest, man, if that's certainly something that you can do, but if if there's and it sounds like from talking to you and and following along with with your ride, your you know the ride you've been on with all this, <laughs> um, it sounds to me like there's plenty of birds in the area, and you know if that's the case, you can probably just go out there and stand there and listen. They're going to gobble on their own. You know, you don't have to make them gobble. If he's if he's out there strutting and breeding hens, when it starts breaking daylight, he's gonna start gobbling to let all the hens know where he's at and what his plans are for the morning. You know, and then you're standing there in the dark or or, or you know daybreak, 
and the bird's gobbling, and you're like, okay, not only do I know where he's at or the direction he's at, but he's in a tree. So he's not moving. So between now, you and you got a amount of time there, obviously, before he's going to fly down, but you've got time there where he's not going anywhere. He's going to sit up there until there's, you know, good on the ground, most likely, before he flies down. So when you hear that first guy, or you hear a few and you get a waypoint on him, move towards him until you get close enough where you know, okay, I know exactly about how far he is and about where he's at. And so let me get in here and get set up on him. And you don't ever have to make a sound. He doesn't have to know you're in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, uh, I mean, again, you know, terrain will play a huge, uh, huge role in this. But, you know, say say I'm in a, in a lightly wooded area, it's, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's cover, there's plenty of brush and bushes and, and trees, but it's fairly open. I can make my way through it. How far off should I reasonably be setting up? Um, you know, and, and I have a feeling the answer is going to be something like L as, as close as you can without them seeing you. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, if you're crunching through leaves and stuff like that, how far off should I be expecting to set up from and still be able to call in a call in a Tom like that? Well, it varies, man. Uh, like it, it really varies. And, and without really knowing your situation now, a few things, a few points to make um, in response to that, because I, I really can't, I really can't say because the, the area you're in, the amount of turkeys you have, the point in the season you're hunting, all play a, a, a big role. So, uh, you know, as an example of that, early season in Mississippi. Early season in Mississippi when the the birds are still, you know, still have a lot of hens. When I get a bird gobbling early in the morning, I'm going to get as close as I possibly can to it. And the reason is I want him to fly down and come check me out before he gets to those hens. Because I know that once he gets to those hens, not only am I not going to be able to call him away from them most likely, but I'm not even going to know where he's at because he's not going to gobble anymore. He's just going to strut as big as he can all day long waiting on those hens to let him breathe. And so early in the season, he's going to gobble pretty good at daylight. And then, you know, by 30 minutes, hour and a half, maybe after sunup, he's done. He's probably not going to gobble much at all the rest of the day. And if you're hunting in wooded terrain where you don't have fields and stuff like that, I mean, he can just disappear on you because he's not gobbling. And the more you walk around, the more likely you are to just scare him off. So I'm going to get as close as I can. Because, like I said, my only, my not my only chance, uh, there's an exception to every rule. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, ignoring that. But generally speaking, using, using a statistics to my advantage here, my highest percentage of, of success is to kill him before he gets to his hens. And so I'm going to get as close as I can so that when his feet hit the ground, he is very close, you know, like within 100 yards of me so that, all I got to do is convince him to come a little ways and be in gun range. As the season gets later and I realize that there's not a lot of hens around, he might be all by himself looking for more hens. You know, I don't, you know, I'm still going to try to get fairly close to him, but I don't have to, I'm not, I don't have that worry in my mind. I know that if I really get his attention, he, he might come to me because he's looking for hens. That's why he's up there gobbling his brains out at daylight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the situation where, how many, how many gobblers are around? Is there a lot of competition? Because if there's five or six turkeys gobbling, 
you know, you're probably going to get one of them to come to you because they're not all going to go to the hens without getting a big old fight. Yeah. So, but generally speaking, I think if you, you, you know, you can use that hundred yard, hundred yards given line of sight, meaning, you know, you only get so close without being risking being seen in, in your terrain. Um, and, uh, if you're in big timber, big hardwood, you know, you can get, you can get pretty close. If if it's a field that you got to be in the open, you know, you might not need to get quite as close. If you're hunting an area where your scouting is, is, is to your advantage and you kind of know what they're very likely to do. If they, if they're, if they are limited, let's just say by water or by just simply open ground where they pretty much, if they fly down this direction, they kind of got to eventually filter through this area. Well, then you can kind of sit back and use, you know, the kind of techniques you would use when you were trying to hunt a funnel on, on traveling deer and say, hey, all I got to do is call him into gun range within this limited area where they always kind of pass through here after they fly down. If you're in a situation like I'm in most of the time where it's thousands of acres of timber, they can go any direction they want. Well, then I'm going to try to get close in an advantageous situation so that when his feet hit the ground, I'm the first hen yelping at him and, and, and try to get him over there to me. All right. So are there any, uh, as we're winding down, are there any final tips uh, that or encouragement you might have for me uh, <laughs> for my my second official spring turkey season? Well, the the best thing that I can say, I think, is you got to be willing to mess up in order to learn enough to kind of move forward in your uh, progression as a turkey hunter. And and when I say that, I mean, you got to go out there at daylight and say, I'm not sitting in a blind today. You know, I'm not sitting in a blind and I'm not taking a decoy. I'm going to take my call and my shotgun and my camo. And I'm going to go out there where I can hear the area I'm hunting. And when a turkey gobbles, I'm going to see how close I can get to him and sit down. And I'm going to try to call that turkey in gun range. And if you get too close and you spook him off the limb, well, then you've learned something. If you call him up and he doesn't get close enough because he doesn't have, there's not a decoy out there, well, then you learn something. If you call him up and he comes in behind you because that decoy is not there to pull him around in front of you, then you learn something. And then, of course, if, if you do it all right and he comes right up in your lap and you kill him, then you've really learned something. But, you know, to your point about, you know, learning what it sounds like and, and, I don't think it's a skill. I don't think it's something you got to get better at. It's just something you have to experience. So learning what it sounds like when a turkey's 400 yards away on a windy day or when a turkey is only 100 yards away, but he's on the other side of a hill or, you know, what's the difference in, you know, a turkey that's gobbling facing the other direction as, as opposed to a turkey that's gobbling facing your direction. And how do I know I've listened to this turkey gobble seven or eight times and, you know, what are these different, you know, what can I, what can I make of this when I hear this, you know, I can tell you if I'm standing in the woods with you at daylight and I hear this, we know it's the same turkey, but the sound keeps changing. I can almost tell you, well, he's walking up and down a limb. He's gobbling away from us sometimes. That's why he sounds, you know, I've had a lot of hunted with a lot of people that, you know, that hadn't, hadn't had as much hunting experience as me and they i mean that turkey's already on the ground i'm like no he's not he's in the he's in the tree he sounds different because he's walking up and down the limb and he's gobbling left and he's gobbling right and he's trying to get everything's attention 
you know, when he gobbles at us, he's turning and facing us, and it sounds like he's right on top of us. And then sometimes he gobbles and echoes down this this creek bottom, and it sounds like he's already flown down, and he's, you know, 200 yards the other direction. And then he turns around and gobbles again, and he's right back in the same spot. You know, learning what all those sounds are and figuring them out, and then also learning how to just figure out where the right place to get. You know, when you get in that zone, you got, I know I'm within a couple hundred yards of this bird. I know I can't really go any closer because the train opens up. So how do I need to set up? What do I need to look at here to, to, to for me to think, okay, this is the kind of spot where if I, you know, get this bird's attention, he'll come into this area looking for a hen. What do those spots look like? And the only way to figure that out is to just do it and, and try to learn from it. When a, when a bird hangs up or when, when you do something stupid and spook the bird, you, you just figure out what you did wrong and put it in that, of knowledge experience is all you need truthfully because there's not a list of things that are answers that are going to turn the tides it's just experience and sometimes that experience comes in the way of success but as you probably well know in life most of the time our our best experiences come in failure you know and so you just can't you can't be afraid to just try different things. And if there's something that you're not really understanding, put I know you, Sam. You're good at being vulnerable. <laughs> put yourself in a vulnerable situation. Say I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I know everybody keeps telling me I need to do this. So I'm fixing to go out there and do it and see if it kills me a turkey or not. And then if it does, great. If it doesn't, I'll learn something from it. You know, I, I just think that needs to be your approach. Well, that is. As best I can, the approach I'm taking with it, and I hope uh, everyone everyone here listening will also do their best. Um, I know I've had a couple of buddies mention uh, that they're turkey hunting for the first time this year. I think the quarantine is finally getting to them. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I will be sending them this episode when it comes out for sure. Uh, so just to remind the folks, uh, where can they find you and T3 and Strutcast, all the good stuff online? Yeah, so the stuff I'm into, um, I'm the host of Strutcast, which is just a, a spring turkey hunting podcast. I do it once a week, uh, just during the spring. I usually go from late February, early March uh, through the end of May, and uh, it's just all dedicated to spring turkey hunting. And you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can go to strutcast.com. I hope you'll go to strutcast.com and um, check out all the media and, and you can listen to the episodes there. But um, at the same time, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, just everywhere that podcasts are available. Um, and then, you know, as far as myself, I, I'm, I'm the owner and operator of Life and Focus Media and and really uh, I'm, mostly what I do is I'm kind of the whitetail and turkey hunting content developer for scree gear so uh, that's s-k-r-e and uh, it's a performance-based layering system you know camo clothes and uh, gear and and so you'll find a lot of my stuff content video photo blogs articles and stuff uh, with scree and then you know t3 calls we're a custom call maker focused mostly on turkey but we also do some deer and waterfowl calls so, uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking me up, uh, my name is Locke Wheeler, and, and it's spelled with an E, so it's L-O-C-K-E, and you can search Locke Wheeler on Instagram or, or Facebook and find me, and then, of course, T3 Calls and uh, Scree Gear, you'll find me on those places, and then, of course, I hope you'll all go check out Strutcast. We're in Season 2, about three or four episodes in. We've had some pretty cool 
guests last year and starting off this year. And it's been tough because this coronavirus and this quarantine thing is, is making the season very difficult. I've already had three or four trips canceled and I honestly don't really expect to take any of my out of state trips this year. And I usually go on six or seven. So um, I'm going to be relocated to hunting right here in Louisiana and Mississippi. And um, that's going to cut down on my content big time, but you know, we all got to stay safe and see this through and hope everybody else is doing that as well. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep, you know, banging out those Strutcast episodes and hope people will follow along with that. We'll be bringing as much good, entertaining, and informative turkey content as we can throughout the spring. Oh, yeah, man. Well, I will make sure to link to that on the show notes page. Appreciate you hopping on the line. It was good chatting with you again, bud. Yep. Thanks, man. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more. 